everybody, this is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. In this episode, Matt Dabbs and Jim Putman have a conversation that offers valuable insights drawn from Putman's book, Discipleship. That book is about uncovering the five critical shifts churches can make to inspire disciples who create more disciples. Putman encourages a shift from reaching people to making disciples, from informing people to equipping disciple makers. You may feel challenged a little bit by this episode, especially if your church holds to a traditional church structure, because Jim seeks to bring ministers and disciples alike closer to realizing that abundant life promised to us by Jesus. Let's let Matt and Jim move us forward in our relationship with Jesus and also in our mission of being disciple makers in our churches. Here we go. Well, hello, everybody. This is Matt Dabbs with Discipleship.org, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Jim Putman of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. He is the founder and senior pastor of that ministry. And one thing I really appreciate about him is uh, that he is a personal disciple maker and emphasizes that in the church and in the staff, and it's very real for him. It's in the ivory tower stuff. It's just everyday real life for Jim, and I love that about him. So I'm, I'm looking forward to us talking a bit about disciple shift and the five shifts that churches can make to have disciples who make more disciples. So Jim, welcome. Oh, it's great to be here, Matt. Thank you. Absolutely. So this book sold a lot of copies. Bobby and I have talked about that a bit. It's done very, very well for a very good reason. I, I've read the book several times. I've used it for different courses I've I've written and taught, and I think it's a, a wonderful book. If the people watching or listening have not read the book, we'll put a link in the description, and I highly, highly recommend buying this book. And I think after you hear what Jim's going to say, you'll, you'll want to get a copy of this book. But can you kind of lay out the five, the five things, and let, let's just talk about that for a bit. Yeah, I, it was interesting because I'm I'm more of a, you know, I'm a volume of word guys and then guy, and then there's people who are precise, right? So I can give you the five shifts, but a volume of words rather than just the precise titles they gave them. But uh, the shift number one is from reaching to making. Number two is from forming to equipping or informing to equipping. Number three is from program to purpose. And number four is from activity to relationship. And then number five is from accumulating to deploying. So, you know, it's really just taking on uh, the box the church is in and asking the question, uh, is that the right box? Is that the box that Jesus gave us? And we've been living in a box that really wasn't his. And if it's really not his, then it's really not going to conquer the gates of hell. It's really not going to give us an abundant life. It's like anything else. God has no obligation whatsoever to bless our recipe of the faith or the church or whatever. He, he asks us to surrender to him and, and use his, which sometimes doesn't make sense to us, but he knows exactly how he made us. He knows what he made us for. And so just getting back to God's word, his methods, his, the holding to the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, getting back, not just in the teachings of Jesus, but also in the methods. Well, that's really good. So part of this, and I think it's important to state up, up front, you know, when we talk about shifts, there's an implied, something is not where it needs to be and we need to get it where it's supposed to be. But one thing I love about what you and Bobby have done is this is not like a harsh criticism or critique. It's more, okay, descriptive of what's happening and, and what's in the scripture versus what we see today. And how do we bridge that gap? Like, what does that look like and what's needed to get from where we are? Because every culture, no matter how you slice it, is going to have that gap. Like somewhere in our, in our DNA, we're going to need to bridge some gaps to that kingdom DNA, that's, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think I was just, I just got back from Africa and I go around the world and it's interesting how people are people, no matter where you go. And they... They get off course. I mean, I, I, you can even know the right things, and before you even know it, you're off course. So this is something we aspire to, but but we find ourselves, you know, I always talk about having rumble strips on the side of the road. You know, you get you're looking, you're driving, but you're looking at the deer. I'm a hunter, so you're you're looking at, it, you're not paying attention, and then you have got those strips on the side of the road that get really loud, and it reminds you. And hopefully, you didn't get too far out there because the further out you get, the harder it is to get back. But it's just, 
constantly assessing, here's what Jesus said, where am I really at? Um, and how do I, I do it his way because he's right. I'm not going to trust my own understanding anymore. And uh, so, yeah, every generation, because it's got people in it, gets off one way or the other. And then the, oftentimes they overcorrect and they swing the pendulum too far the other direction. They know more about what they don't want than what they do. And, uh, and so what does it look like to go, here's what we're shooting for. Here's what we see in scripture. Wherever we landed in whatever country, let's compare what, we, what we've been doing with what God's word says in our own lives, in our methods, in all that, and let's get back on course. So what are some of those rumble strips for you? Like when you hear the rumble, what are some things that should cause that for Western Christianity? Well, you know, getting back to the word, in going through, you know, not just the doctrines. Um, oftentimes, we we will talk about rights and wrongs. We'll talk about, um, you know, when it comes to values and ethics, and and we'll talk about who Jesus is. Uh, but we often forget that he was the greatest disciple maker in history, and they didn't have any of the tools you're supposed to have even then, let alone today. Uh, to to expand with normal everyday people throughout the entire known world and conquer Rome and everything else. I mean, there's there's nothing about you know the the methods and the things that he used that were exceptional. They weren't complex. They were just difficult. And and he was able to to change the whole world with regular everyday people who were not heroes themselves, but merely said Jesus is the hero. And so what does, what does it look like to look at the scriptures, not just to follow what Jesus said and what he taught, and, but to go, where did he say it? Who did he say it to? How did he say it? When Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't say go make converts. He said, go make disciples, baptizing, teaching. And when he said that, he didn't mean go do it any way you want. He had just done it with them. So in the context of this, he had just made disciples. And now he says, this is how I want you to go do it. And as you go look at the early church, they modeled or, or they reproduced what Jesus modeled. And so Brandon Ginn and one of our guys came from here and he's planted a church, written some books now. And he always says it this way, we're not supposed to innovate. We're supposed to imitate. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we want to innovate. We want to find shortcuts. We want to, you know, we only have so much time because the world's busy and we want to fit all of our spirituality into, into you supercharge an hour instead of walk with Jesus daily. And, and so what does it look like to go, what is the, the mission we were given? What is the method we were supposed to complete the mission? And in always, you know, I think the biggest thing is being versus doing first. How am I living out my own abiding relationship with Jesus? How am I doing in that honestly? Making sure that we're on the rock, we're abiding, we're plugged in, and then out of the being, the doing instead of the doing just seems to take over. And I can do for all the wrong reasons and with my own strength. And so it's, it's just having a personal walk with God and being a disciple maker and being in relationship, like I'm asking everybody else to be first. And then out of that, I'm able to do better work, more connected work, more fruit, and that actually works. Hmm. And so um, when, I, when it comes to my own life, it's like, all right, I'm, um, everything I do is that actually making a disciple, not just inviting people to accept Christ, but is, am I actually creating a, a culture where I'm discipling and I'm, I'm expecting others and teaching others to do the same. So, or, and then it, obviously you got to answer the question, well, what is a disciple, right? Cause that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. We'll talk about that later on maybe, but am I making disciples and am I recreating a disciple making culture or am I creating a bunch of fans, uh, spectators? Um, you know, it's so funny. Uh, I don't know if I, 
I don't think I said this in, in discipleship, but when I was in, uh, I was coming out of uh, the world and I kept become a Christian and I was, I was like, okay, I will be a Christ follower, but I will never be a part of the church. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the biggest reasons was to me, it was a losing team. I don't like being on, I was, I was on national championship teams, state championship teams. I don't like being on a losing team. And it was like, God was asking me to be on a losing team, which then my dad challenged me to say, he said, uh, Jesus's church was supposed to prevail against the gates of hell. And I go, well, I mean, it's supposed to have been, but it isn't, right? I mean, when you look at the stats, you look at how many people have a biblical worldview, how many people are sharing their faith, how many people look different in their lifestyles, how often they go to church, how, you know, how, how often they give. When you look at the behaviors of Christians in America, it, 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 to me, it was a losing team. That doesn't mean every part of it's losing, but, you know, as a whole. And so my dad said, you know, said, hey, well, that may or may not be true. But remember this, Jesus didn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against a church. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So you need to figure out what is his church. Right. And so I started going, well, what is his church? If it was his church, what did he, what did he think that meant? How did he live that out? What was it supposed to look like? So I went through this process and then, okay, what was the mission of the church? What is winning? That was like, okay, if it's a winning church, what, how do I even define winning? Right. And it was making disciples. Okay. In what way was I supposed to make disciples, which led to methodology, right? Okay. So if I might even have the right goal, but if at the end of the day, my methods are not leading to what I value, there's a disconnect. And I'm a wrestling guy. If you were to ask me, what was I a disciple of before I was a Christian? And even my dad asked me that question, in what place are you a disciple? I'd say in wrestling. And it, they taught me how to wrestle. Uh, I learned how to wrestle. I learned how to teach other people how to wrestle. Now I promote wrestling and I teach people to wrestle and I create a culture of wrestling. With the program and the wrestling in the school I was in, little kids, junior high, high school, parents, big, big groups of people that love wrestling. Now we're, you know, promoting and they, they, that was my church. And I, this, this occurred to me. Um, what if I use the church's methodology for making disciples in wrestling once a week? For an hour and a half, I'm going to get up in front of uh, some people and I'm going to take out the wrestling rule book and I'm going to read to them the rule book. And, and uh, I'm going to maybe even go, hey, here's a, here's a move. Here's a single leg. And I'm going to have them all sit there and watch me bring somebody up on stage and I'm going to do a single leg. And, and I say, hey, next week, come back and I'll show you a double leg. And we'll work on some more of the rule book. And then we stop and we go, let's sing some songs about wrestling. Wrestling is great. Wrestling is wonderful. Wrestling can change your life. Wrestling makes you strong, you know. And then we, we stop and we have a little cracker and a little juice because wrestlers are hungry. So we got a little, you know, cracker and juice. And we take a little cracker and juice, you know, in the middle of the thing. And then I say, okay, see you next week. And then you got to invite them to come be wrestlers too at the end. Yeah, come and come and make a commitment to be a wrestler. Yeah. Right? Invite your friends to come to our meeting about wrestling. Yeah. And what would be the best I would ever get if I were to use that methodology in wrestling? The best I would get is people who understood the rule book for wrestling but couldn't actually wrestle. They might even recognize, hey, that's a single leg, but they couldn't actually do it. They couldn't do it against a, an enemy. They couldn't. They couldn't show anybody else how to do it. They could maybe say, well, hey, rule 17 verse 2 says you can't lock your hands when you're on top. Okay, great. It doesn't mean they have shape to wrestle. It doesn't mean in, in wrestling you've got three positions, top, bottom, and neutral, and you've got shape. It doesn't matter what you know and what you can do if you can't do it in the third round and you can't breathe. So it didn't actually teach them shape. It didn't actually teach them to do anything. What would be the best you would get? 
Now, what if I used wrestling in the church? I'm going to come and we're going to have a meeting and I'm going to introduce you to wrestling. I'm going to get up and say, hey, to be a good wrestler, it's more than just making a commitment to wrestling, a one-time decision for wrestling. You're going to have to be committed to practice. I'm going to show you how to do this. And the end goal is at first, you're going to see me do it, but I'm going to teach you to do it. And then we're going to go slow and, 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 and we're going to speed things up. At first, people are going to let you do it. And then you're going to take turns and, and then we're going to speed it up. And then pretty soon we're going to start running. You got to get in shape and we're going to eat. And, and, and so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you a move. I'm going to break you into twos. You're actually going to practice with each other. And you're going to go at the pace that I tell you. And then I'm going to have coaches over a different weight class, like the small weights. You're going to, you're going to practice it, but I have somebody there hands on to help you do it. Not you watching me do it, you doing it, right? And then as you get older, I'm going to actually give you a freshman. If you're a junior and senior, you're going to help practice, but you're going to help teach. You know, it, it, and then we're going to run, and then we're going to do stuff, and we're going to practice every day, and we're going to, and it's not one point one times a month, right? It's not, you know, what would what if we use the way we do wrestling in the church? What would we get? And there's nobody who, who it wouldn't matter what you do. Nobody would use the church's methodology to produce people who could actually do something at the end of it. Nobody would use the church's methodology for plumbing, mm-hmm. for sport, for symphony, for uh, nothing that takes coordination and effort and produces somebody who can do something would actually use most church's methodology for, for discipleship. Do you, do you, Jim, do you think that that is because like the form in which we're used to church came out of a time when we assumed everybody was churched? So we weren't trying to form, I mean, in a sense, we weren't trying to change their worldview. We weren't trying to change their belief system. We were just trying to give them a place to meet and do the, the things that church people were supposed to do because we we're all church people, 1800 America, 1900, whatever, you know, like or even Europe, Europe and whatever, you know, they're all coming from over there. So do, do you think that there was no need to, in the mind of how that was, was formulated just because, what, are you going to go out on the street corner and wrestle people who are wrestlers? I mean, you're not trying to convert people to wrestling on the street corners. They're already all wrestlers, you know, I guess you have more people to wrestle. Well, I guess there's always been a difference between people who converted Mm-hmm. Well, let me say it this way. One of the things that Jesus did is he basically tore down the priesthood. And he said, we're all a holy nation, a royal priesthood, the priests mm-hmm. of all believers. Well, one of the things the early church did right away is rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And again, I'm, I'm for teaching people and growing them to maturity. That's all there in scriptures. Raising up reliable people would be able to teach others. But it was not in this context separate from life, but it became that. It became, oh, you know, cool. like the educational process. Yeah. You know, it became a place you left life to go and learn certain information. And the expectation of everybody being able to reproduce this in their own homes, normal, everyday people became no more fishermen. And zealots and tax collectors, it became a specialized category of people, and it became highly educational. It became about what you know and not necessarily what you can do. And so I think that was a change that happened early on, and and it continued into the Bible college system of today, um, where discipleship has become about you could pass a degree program and you can answer true and false questions or fill in the blank questions. And it's, it's, you know, it's a separate training that you send people to rather than a way of life that's being passed on one mm-hmm. person to another kind of a thing. Yeah. Some of the universities are moving in Christian education to competency-based education now because they're seeing that gap. But at the same time, you're still kind of training the priesthood if you're just getting the the paid ministerial staff people. So here, let me just let me just say this about that. I agree that there are competency based things, but I wrote a book after d- discipleship called Relationship, and it was people were looking at our stuff and they were going, "Okay, 
Yes, Jesus made disciples in small groups. And so they go, yes, relationship in relationship, it's the best way to make disciples. And yes and no. The purpose of relationship is not just to pass on right information and to teach you competencies. It's in relationship you learn to be relationship people. So it's not a means to an end. Jesus said, mm-hmm. you'll know my, but this, it, 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 people know you're my disciples by your love for one another. If you walk in the light, see as in light, then you have fellowship with one another. Fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. For who? With who? And relationship is written to pastors who are the loneliest, most separated group of people I've ever met. And here, here's why, a couple of reasons. One is, many of them were taught in Bible college, do not try to be in relationship with people that you lead. Yeah. You, you won't be able to lead. Well, I'm glad Jesus didn't listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You lose your credibility if you try to be in relationship with them. And I think that is absolutely false. Uh, I think by being real and honest about who you are, it opens up real honesty. And these pastors are keeping everybody at a distance because they think if I, if you get to know who I really am, you'll see that I have faults. Right. And then you won't want to follow me because I'm not maturing. Um, and then you've got pastors who, because they're not making disciples, they're, they're like, their job is to take care of their hundred people, go to the hospital, weddings, counseling, all these things. They're moving so fast. I call it rock skipping. You take a rock on a lake, you throw it real fast, and it bounces along the top until it runs out of energy and it dies. They're so busy taking care of everybody else's tragedies, problems, that they don't have time to have real relationships where they're honest and they're open and they're exhausted and they're isolated. If God has got a relationship with him and others, and he thinks we need that, and the devil is a destroyer of relationship, then you're doing the devil's, when you isolate yourself mm. either by too much busyness or by false understandings of what leadership is and what you should be doing, you're doing the devil's work for him. Mm. And, and you're the head. If, as the head goes, if that's the model you live, then in your church, that's what people aspire to. You celebrate what, what you want up front. And people are like, well, that's what it looks like. I have to be too busy helping everybody else that I can't be real. I don't have real relationships. And you create this isolated going to church life rather than being church in relationship. So when you talk about Bible colleges moving from information to competency, there's this whole big piece. It's in relationship that I learn best, but it's in relationship I'm capable of fulfilling what I learned. Some things that I learn are really hard, and it's in relationship that I'm capable of doing them as, as I confess my sins, as we carry each other's burdens, and so as we tell each other the truth, as we, if I had to live an isolated pastor's life, I would have never survived. I'm so grateful that I have people that choke me when I'm down, fill me in where I'm weak, remind me of the truth when I forget. It's not on me. You know, a lot of these guys are carrying all this weight and they're alone. And that's not God's plan. That's not going to work in your life. It's not going to work for your church, which is why, what is it now? 70% of pastors went out if they could get out. Why? That is a miserable, lonely life. And Jesus said he wants to give us life and life to the full. Yeah. That's not Ecclesiastes 4, you know, there's a man who was all alone. And, and, and he had no friend or no brother, and he had plenty of work to do. What am I toiling? What a miserable business. That's the American Christian. Uh, two are better than one. They have a better, you know. It, I'm just telling you, I just got out of Africa. They, they actually were taught in Africa that if you, if you serve God at his church and you lay your family on the altar, God will take care of your family. You don't have to worry about your family. So they don't have a relationship with their kids, all in the name of Jesus. They don't have a home sphere that God wanted them to have. And you were supposed to have your home sphere go first. And out if that's being managed well and you have the ability, now you take on ownership. You don't skip your home 
to be a leader. It's all backwards. None of that is God's plan for the church. And it's not working for our pastors and our people. And it's certainly not being a light to the lost. I, I love letting you go on a riff and just go. I just want to keep saying amen along the way, but I don't want to interrupt you. You know, let us make mankind in our image, right? God lives in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the first thing that was wrong in creation, it's not good. You know, good, good, good. Day one, day two, not good. The man's alone. You know, we need a helper suitable. Except pastors who. Yeah. He, you know. Yeah. They can, they can handle it. Yeah. There's your 70%, right? Very well said. I mean, somebody, a lot, a lot of people need to hear what you're saying. I need to hear what you're saying. But then we see discipleship is like one more to do. Like I've got, I've got, I've got to learn these skills and I've got to execute the skills and I've got to start new programs and I've got to execute the programs to, and it's like, that's not at all what you're what you're sharing. Well, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got from informing to equipping. So again, yeah. if I'm informing you, but I'm still the one doing all the work, I'm exhausted as a pastor. Yeah. And I'm t- actually teaching you to exhaust yourself as a Christian. And then the kids are like, what? what? I mean, I grew up in that. My dad was busy all the time. He was there for me if there was a tragedy, but I didn't know him until there was a tragedy. So I'd still make tragedies. At least I get to see him. Yeah. Right? I mean. Because somebody was always having a tragedy, so he was over at that tragedy, mm-hmm. you know? And so I didn't, I, I thought the church stole my dad. I thought God hated me and loved the church instead. And why do I want, you know, it, 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 and so there's just so many things wrong with the church I grew up in. And my dad came to, came to learn, he was sincere, and he came and he grew, and he's a mighty man of God to this day. But at the t- but that was what he was taught. He was a yeah. first-generation Christian. That's what he was showing, taught, and he was just doing his best. Yeah. But it was killing him. Yeah. And then, you know, you get into from informing to equipping. My job is not to inform a whole bunch of people. It's, the goal is not how many people come to our weekend services. how many people we're raising up, equipping, to serve, to reach outside the walls, you know, to the number of people I have preaching, leading small groups, serving, sharing their faith. That matters to me more than how many I talked into coming forward to make a sit decision on Sunday morning. Because there's a lot of reasons people can come up. It could be emotional, their family can come up. What I want to see, we, we do baptisms every week. The most exciting thing for me is when it, this person didn't come because of the message I gave. They came because their next-door neighbor brought in food when they were sick, invited them to their home group, shared faith with them, and they're baptizing them. Mm-hmm. And not only are they baptizing him, they're, they're discipling him. Most churches like, I'm going to bring him to the church so the pastor can tell him, and then he's going to be the one who disciples him. Well, if it requires relationship to disciple, how many can I actually be in? Well, that forces me to do a class. I have to do a class, 101 in people in the class because it's information. I don't have any time for relationship to model any of this or to help them be practical about it. So it turns it into a class. Instead of life on life. Yeah. So good. So anyway, yeah. mm. so then it goes to, you know, for program the purpose. It's funny because I, I have a, I have three men's groups and a live group. And on my one, I just started a new one with some guys I, I chose. And I said, here's our, I, I created a, what's called the Disciples Journey Workbook. And, and so we're going through that. And I go, it's a 12-week thing. But I want you to know that I've never done this 12-week thing in less than a year. And it's not, this isn't, this isn't like, because we went through the material, you're a mature disciple. We go at the pace that we embrace it and start to live it out. So, you know, there's some curriculum that goes with it. It's, it, the curriculum doesn't, this is not, I graduated from the group. Now I'm, boom, mature disciple. Now, it's not a program. People are always, you know, I was in Africa. Well, when do people graduate from discipleship? So you're thinking in terms of, because it's so educational based, they, they're a senior and they graduate. So that means they must be mature. No, all, uh, in, a, in a Bible college, all that means is you answer questions in a test correctly. Or maybe you preached a sermon correctly, competency based. But that doesn't mean you're actually living out maturity in your life. The pace of discipleship goes at the pace of the people you're with. And each person is different. They had different scars, different woundings, different things. And they have different learning styles. And so one person can have a pretty well-together life and pick up things pretty quickly. One person may have been sexually abused. And I'm sorry, but their pace of understanding how to live this out 
is going to be different than somebody who came from a, from a good church home. But what we do is we put everybody in the same class. We go through 12 weeks and say, boom, you're all disciple. And uh, so it's, it's not a program. But, but, there, but it is, uh, there is some material and there's state weeks where I come in and everybody's like, hey, we're on uh, chapter two. We've been here for like a month, but you know what? My wife and I got in this fight and she is, she's got cancer and I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Let's not talk about that now because we're in chapter two, day four. That's a program. Yeah. The Holy Spirit likes like the man from Macedonia, right? Like that's Holy Spirit programming. It's like, yeah, I'm going to interrupt you. We're going to, you know, send you over here and you thought you're going to go that way. It's like, this is going to take you a lot longer than you thought, but when you get there, it's going to be you know, it's going to be what you needed. And by getting there is like eternity or something, you know, like yeah. when you die. <laughs> so then from activity to relationship, and I've already, already said that you can do a lot of stuff. You can know the right stuff and say the right stuff. Paul said, you can know all mysteries and speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but if you have not loved, you are a, a, a you know, a resounding gong. You can offer your body to slay it, it, uh, to the flames. You can give all you have to the poor, but if you have not loved, you're nothing. In other words, just because when you know, you know something, speaking tongues of it, you, you're skilled. Remember, the First Corinthian church was really skilled. Um, that doesn't mean you're mature. Maturity is, remember, Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on two commands. All the scriptures hang on two commands, love God, love others. Everything is about relationship, restored relationship. If you miss that part, and there's so many unrelational pastors, you know, they, they don't want to be in the foyer, shake of hands. They, 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 they did their thing and they're in the back and they just can't handle people. And they go into their office for, you know, 35 hours a week working on a sermon. They don't know their people. They don't know what they're really going through. They don't know, you know, they're preaching what they heard from the book they're reading rather than where their people are really at because they don't yeah. know their people. They don't know how they took it. They don't have time to unpack it with them. You know, well, the education system attracts introverts. Yeah, the says, system actually builds it. And builds, yeah, you got a four-year Masters of Divinity, and you, you're going to have to sit in a cubicle somewhere for hours on end to get that thing. I mean, I've been there, done that. Like, and I'm an introvert, but you you can't, you got to be an energetic introvert. You got to be well, a connected the, the introvert. the spirit, you know, moves you away from being self-focused, what do I want, what yeah. am I like, to what do they need? And not everybody's gregarious, and I'm not saying you have to one size fits all. But if you're not learning to love well and allow others to love you well, yeah. If you're not relational, you know, a lot of guys are like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna love you, but I'm not gonna let you love me. Yeah. You just cut yourself off. First Peter four, you know, you cut yourself off from God's grace that He gives through you to other people when you cut yourself off from relationships. You can't fulfill any of the one another's, right? You're on yeah, your own right. and you're doing the devil's work for you again. And then, you know, as we go through this, the last one here is from accumulating to deploy. And now, okay, we've got a bunch of church plants. We've got, you know, a bunch of different ministries and we're raising up. We're not just gathering our own little kingdom where it's a mission to reach the world in one form or another. And so we got missionaries in Africa and Fiji and Mexico. We got church plants, we got staff, people and other staffs, we got ministries reaching out. It's because you're you're launching people, not just gathering them for your own little kingdom. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. It has to be open-handed, non-branded, non-territorial. You know, there's lines in the sand, but it's like between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, not between me and you. So one of the things that we do is like if somebody if somebody comes, they're from a like another church and they're like, check it out. One of the questions is always like, okay, well, what happened? Like, why, why are you looking? And if, if they're like, well, I didn't really like what happened over there at the church I was at. Okay. Well, have you reconciled that? Well, no, I just, I was just, okay, well, don't come here. You need to go take care of that. Like, I, I really hope you can go back and take care of that. And stay we have over here. Don't come over here. over here. Too. <laughs> same thing. The same attitude is going to be over here now, right? No, 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 no. You go back. And if after all the Matthew 18 stuff doesn't work out, then think about coming over, you know, but it's like, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Ah, we like our numbers. 
Well, it's, 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 there's been so much of this, you know, it's just going back to the Bible. I mean, don't believe anything we say unless you go back to scripture, you know, go back and check it like the Breen's did. And then once you do it, it's like, wow, okay, there's a gap between I've been reaching and not making. Okay. Well, we've got to close that gap. Best I know how. We're going to get started. And part of this is really comes down to, you know, it's true that if you go through Ephesians 4, you know, he talks about that there was apostles and prophets, which from my understanding of that, that was the 12 and the prophets who kind of stood in the gap there. And then he says evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? An evangelist and a pastor and teacher were not supposed to have an evangelist church over there, pastors teach over there, the teachers teach over, teach over there, the three different churches. No, those three groups of people that were to come together, they were to be in the church so that, yes, some people may be more gifted at evangelism, but they are absolutely committed to the teaching and the shepherding pastor. It's all three. And a pastor, I don't believe in a team or a players. I believe in eight teams. I have, there are people in the body that God, that's why I wrote church as a team sport. We all have different parts. A good coach doesn't think he's the, he has to do the offense, defense, special teams, line, you know, in football. Cause he's like, I have to have a line coach. I have to have a, you know, and all these things are important, but to have a complete team, I don't want just, you know, the hands people yeah. are over there, the eyes mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. over there. We mm-hmm. were supposed to be a whole body. So all parts are needed in our church, which means I see my own strengths. I see my own weaknesses. I see your strengths. I see your weaknesses. And together, we fill each other in so we're a team. So now we can reach the lost and make disciples. That's so good. Yeah, that's First Corinthians 12, right? One body, many parts. We all need each other. I think it might be Wolfgang Simpson, Houses That Change the World. There's some place where they talk about like, you know, if, if you have strong pastoral, but weak teaching, or you have strong teaching, weak pastoral, like when things get out of balance, like what does that church look like? But you, you know, you need strong, you need to use those gifts and, you know, in a, in a fuller sense as much as possible and how those, those gifts all not counterbalance, but like kind of like work in concert to, to do everything Paul said. So like, one of the things that I think is really helpful is to look at a church and say, if the church, if the people are not growing in the likeness of Christ, and if the people are blown here and there by everyone in wave of of deceit and doctrine, of dis, you know, false doctrine, you know, if all if if we're facing and suffering from all the things Paul says that the gifts address, we're we're not using the gifts. Like if if we use the gifts as Paul explained the gifts, then it's going to produce everything he said it was going to produce. So if you have people really pastoring people and really teaching and really evangelizing the false teaching is going to fall out because you got strong biblical teaching. you got a pastoral spirit. you got a mission drive. Like when those three things are working, the fall, all that stuff's going to work out, you know? So, well, I, I really like, point. you know, around here you've got, okay, the, everybody who likes worship goes over there. Yeah. Everybody who likes verse by verse goes over there. Every, you know, so well, here's a couple of things. First of all, those are like really one dimensional churches, if that's everybody that goes there likes that. Secondly, it's like, we want what we want, and we're not willing to be uncomfortable with what other people want and need and the way they're, they're wired. And it's like people using food as an analogy. I like, I don't like vegetables. So we're not going to eat vegetables. We're going to eat dessert. Well, the count of your diet is, is about dying to yourself and eating some things you don't like but you need. And so these one-dimensional churches that are weak in a given area, that weakness will be exploited by the devil. Mm-hmm. Instead of being a fully you know, balanced body with fully balanced people who may or may like certain parts. Like I, I always like, I got people that love the worship and then the preaching, they go sit out in the foyer tell it's over. And I go, do you really think you're mature? Mm. Or they love the teaching, but they won't come in until the music's over. Wow. I'm like, you think you think you're mature? Is that so? You won't even listen to or be a part of something that doesn't scratch your itch. So it doesn't matter, and you don't even need it. Yeah. 
You're just immature. Ah, that is immature. You know, we get lists of spiritual disciplines, you know, fasting, prayer, being in the word, giving. We, we always need to make sure we include in the list of spiritual disciplines, like attending the gathering, like fully investing in the gathering. Because when I do that, there's going to be things I hear I didn't like. There's going to be people I'm going to be around who I don't necessarily, not my favorite people. Like all that is formational, all that surrender and submission to all that is so formational that it's like church, church, church is like a spiritual discipline in a sense. And it's well, formative you know, ability. You've heard of that parenting term, helicopter parents, right? Yeah. Who, you know, they don't understand your job is to build your children uh, so that they can take on the enemy when they hit the world. You're getting them ready for something. And, and the world is what it is. It's kind of like wrestling. I'm going to shape my practice around who I know you're going to be competing against. And so I'm, my, my practice is everything I'm doing, have that in mind. And a helicopter parent doesn't want their kids ever to be pushed outside of, you know, any sort of suffering, any sort of problem. They'll rescue their, they never, these kids never learn grit, resilience, perseverance because somebody took, took care of that for them. Well, we have churches now designed to be a place of helicopter spiritual parenting because we want to give the people everything they want in the name of growing them into maturity. What version of maturity is that? And so, you know, it, 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 there's churches who we lead and they, and, and it's so interesting to me. I'll go, so your governance is everybody votes. Yep. Okay. What's, let, me, let me describe maturity and let me ask you how, what's your percentage of people that are mature? And I give them the list of maturity and they'll go, oh, maybe 10%. I go, so you're in a church where the 90% can outvote the 10%. The immature people rule the house. Yeah. Yeah, that, that goes back to the, when, you, when, when leadership makes decisions based on like reactions to complaints, like you're basically saying like the lowest common denominator, like the lowest bar of maturity is going to set the tone for this church, which like, make decisions based on somebody didn't like it. Yeah. And, and so as a parent, you better, if, if you're going to have a kid and your job is to let them rule the roost, you're going to be in a miserable life and you're going to raise a miserable, miserable life. kid. Yeah. I always yeah. tell parents, you know, don't, don't have three when there's only two of you, you get outvoted and the crazy kids in the backseat tell you everywhere you're going to go. But that seems to be the parenting. And it seems to be discipleship in church, too. Yeah. Would you say that every church is discipling? It just may not all be functional discipleship. Like, we're all, we're all being discipled. and The world is discipling us. Churches are discipling us. It's just, it's not Jesus-style, in-depth, relational, Holy Spirit-driven discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's absolutely true. You know, if it's true, bad company corrupts good morals. It, then you are influenced by, you know, walk with the fool, become a fool. When you are getting a bunch of people in the name of Jesus together, and then the foolishness is allowed to reign, what, what's it going to produce? Unstable, immature people and foolishness reigns. Right? We've got a bunch of hardcore radicals on both sides of the political aisle. One side is doing it, claiming Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and because they have the right views but are completely unchristlike, they think they're Christians, and the world's going, "That's a Christian?" No. Yeah, yeah, that's and somebody, again, let, somebody, somebody in their church let them get away with that stuff, where they thought it was okay to go do that in public. Probably promoted it. We have a yeah. church here yeah. where they're actually teaching the Constitution in Sunday school. Yeah. Okay, I'm not, I think the Constitution is the greatest document that's ever been devised by man. I, I uh, other than you know, by man, not yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it. Yeah. I, I, it's like amazing. It, I, I believe in those values and those things, but we're part of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, first, that's our Constitution. Now we want to support laws. I'm not saying you're not involved in politics. I'm not trying to get involved in politics yeah. here, but but I did. I stepped right into it. I, 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 I live in a far right radical. Right. And I, and I align with the values of right. I just don't align with the attitudes with so, you know, they're not, we're not to hate our enemies and get back eye for eye. Pagans do that. Jesus had something to say 
about how we go about, you don't fight like the devil for the things of God. You fight like God for the things of God. Mm. And, and, uh, so, you know, it's, but that's part of this option too. No, absolutely. Well, do you have any, anything that you have gleaned since the book came out? Any, I wouldn't say adjustments, but just any, any aha light bulb things? Well, that, you know, that relationship book was, was a big one because they were getting this, but then, you know, I wanted to double down on activity relationship and not activity or relationship for the purpose of being social, but real relationship. What does that mean to live that out? And especially for pastors, I wrote a book called, or excuse me, The Power of Together, which is about the power that God meant for you to have in relationships. So that, that was been written. A lot of my books have been written since then. I wrote a book called Revolutionary Disciple that talks about humility, a revolutionary disciple. You know, I wanted to play on this group that wants to be revolutionary. And I'm like, revolutionary, if I say you're, this is a revolutionary new car, it means it's brand new, right? A revolutionary disciple in today's world is a humble disciple. There's not very many of them. And it's supposed to be a characteristic of a, of a Christ follower of wisdom. That's who Jesus was. And so, but again, that comes back to relationship. Pride kills relationship with God and it kills relationship with others. Humility leads to relationship with God and relationship with others. And there's no way to learn or develop humility without relationship. Yeah. And, and there's no, and again, a lot of Americans in particular say, my authority is God. I don't have to be in submission to elders. I don't have to be in submission to a disciple maker. I don't have to be in dis- to, to the government. If I agree, I will. So I have to agree before I submit, which really means I'm submitting to me, you know, and not, not to, but, you know, so what does it look like to be, and all these have to do with maturity in Christ. Yeah. Power, book together. Right. Have you seen this thing like the sovereign citizen movement where they're like, I I don't go by, by the law. I'm above Mm -hmm. the law. And there's these ancient creeds or something that this land was owned by such and such and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's how some Christians act. It's like, you know, who cares that the sheriff came by and told you you got, you know, one day to get out of here, (laughs) whatever. It's like, no, only if I think it's good, you know, is, is the only thing right for me. It's like, man, that's just so poisonous, so deadly. Well, you got a bunch of people that. They, they, they say I'm a part of the big C church. Yeah. So I don't yeah. have to be part of a local church. Yeah. So, you know, if that church made a decision, I don't like it. I don't have to be under authority of those elders. I'll vote with my feet. I don't have to be under the authority of anybody. If I don't like what they say or what they do, and I have to work it out. I don't have to submit. I submit to God. Well, God says in Romans 13, if you don't submit to God's delegated authority, it's the same as not submitting to him. Well, I've been, yeah, I've been, you know. And again, it comes down to being disciples, mature disciples of Jesus. What does that actually mean? So for me, as I start talking about discipleship, I start focusing on, well, what does that actually mean? What's the method of achieving that and helping others achieve that? So it's still all about discipleship. It just goes deeper down that trail. Yeah. And that's going to be part two. We're going to talk about the definition of a disciple and, and what that means. So. If you're watching this or listening to this, make sure to catch that second part that we're about to jump into here on, on defining all these terms. And it, it's always great talking with this, with you, Jim, you always encourage us and sharpen us up and you give us a lot to think about. And I imagine that there are some pastors who are watching or listening to this going, man, I'm way too isolated in my ministry. So what, what word would you give them if they're feeling that way? Yeah. You know, I would just say. There are a lot of people that thought, okay, if I become a minister, this is just the life, the suffering I was supposed to take. Mm. I'm not against suffering for the Lord, but only if it's a suffering he wanted me to have. He did not ask you to adopt a lifestyle of loneliness. That is not biblical. That's right. But that's the box you were handed. And you, and so I would say, we got to go back to the word and go, okay, I, I always want to tell people before you put on your church system, announce the revolution at the church, it's you need to start becoming a different kind of person. Quit worrying about everybody else and you, before you start making disciples in your church, be a disciple who makes disciples personally. Don't start thinking systems. Take off your leader hand and start 
put, put on your disciple of Jesus hat. Mm-hmm. Out of the being comes the doing. You'll find that it's in the being you get a lot of the answers for the doing. If you're like, no, I'm going to do it and not be it, then you, you miss all the answers God wants to give you about mm-hmm. the doing. Oh, that's so good. And would you say that that relationship starts with their relationship with God? Yep. Abiding relationship with Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going yeah. to actually look what he said and how he did it. Yeah. And, you know, here's the deal. I, again, I have pastors who say, you know, I can't be open and honest with my disciples. They'll use it against me. Probably will. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. But, but you do what you do as unto the Lord. Um, out of reverence for Christ, you do what you do, right? And I would say this, because of what somebody might do, that you think they might do, that the devil's convinced you they might do, you miss out on what God actually wanted to do. And, uh, and so I would say it's, um, I had this one guy I was working with not long ago and he's been dealing with depression, but he would never tell his guys because, you know, that means you have the joy of the Lord and all all this stuff. So he was convinced that he was going to, if he told his guys, they were going to leave his small group and all that. So I gave him a, I said, let's put your money where your mouth is. And he did it. He went and he called me. He'd gone into the bathroom. And uh, he'd gone into the bathroom and he was calling me. He goes, Jim, I told these guys. And you know what they did? They started saying, yeah, me too. I thought I was the only one. And they started going, man, thank you for being honest. And it was like the most amazing thing. And I, I can't even believe this happened. Why didn't I do this before? And, and you know, and. If, I always say, tell people, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Will you pray for me? And he wept. And he said, Father, if there's any other way for this to happen, take this cup from me. He showed them his suffering. Who do you think you are that you can't show people your struggle and your suffering? That's a lie from the devil that's kept you isolated. Start being what Jesus uh, asked you to be. And he gave you an example of what that actually looks like. Oh, man. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for that. That's a great spot for us to, to end on. I appreciate what you shared. And I know it's, it's touched my heart what you just said. And I know that a lot of other people are going to feel the same way. So, so thank you for sharing your heart, Jim. We've got a brand new free 10-minute ebook version of Disciple Shift. It's available by clicking the link in the show notes. And we've also got a link down there for purchasing the full hard copy of Disciple Shift as well. Up next, we've got part two of this conversation between Matt and Jim Putman. Please hit that subscribe button to this channel so that you know when I drop the next episode. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful, fantastic rest of your day. We'll see you.